Hi, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Manager podcast for Sunday, the 9th of April, 2023. This is your host, Nigel Creaser, and we've got part two today of my chat with John Quigley, the value transformation guy. Speak soon. So, uh, I, as I stand here now, I'm recording this on Easter, uh, Good Friday, um, just wait, sunny day in, in the UK here, and um, in the last few weeks, what's been going on? I've been hacking around a little bit with the audio book, trying to get the uh, AI narrated version of the audio book out to a number of different um uh, providers, uh, not managed to, uh, my skills with audio isn't amazing, I need to do some tidying up, some cleaning up, and some, uh, it's a bit more effort on that, but uh, it is available on uh, Google Play, which I've gone through and edited it properly now, uh, clean that all up, and in theory it should be pretty, pretty good, as, as good as the AI can do it, um, I've got a copy also available on Payhip, um, I'm quite happy whichever one you, if you want to grab a copy, um, whichever you want really, um, I think PayHip, I might get a bit more money, but if it's more convenient on uh, Google Play, then jump along there. So uh, jump along, have a look, see what you think. And if you're not sure, uh, I've got a little extract at the end of the show. Um, so carry on listening or just skip to your next podcast um, if you're not here. Uh, what else is the last couple of weeks? I've had some interesting conversations speaking to Jen Santos. Uh, from Brazil, uh, talking about um, the management of events and big corporate events and similar such things and the IT around that, which is a really fascinating area. It's always uh, found with me when I go to a conference or an uh, exhibition type thing, I always fancy the, behind the curtains finding out what goes on there. So if you don't, if you're the same as me, um, you'll find a little bit of a glimpse into some of the the uh, the things you need to consider in there and some of the language that you I didn't know it was used, um, which is really interesting. Um, I also um, uh, interviewed Bob um, Cook, Coke and uh, Phil Clampett, uh, talking about um, servant leadership and beyond servant leadership, which again was a, a really fascinating conversation because it is about um, the phrase servant leadership and, and I've always struggled with it, so they kind of helped me with that, which was really good. And then... Um, this Tuesday, I spoke to uh, Laura Chattington, and we were talking about activating your, uh, or activating people's careers that's plateaued. Um, she runs some masterclasses and some coaching services, um, but it's really some really useful info actually for anyone who's out there. And I think we're sometimes at a project manager, you can get on the the grindstone of deliver the next project, deliver the next project, deliver the next project, deliver the next project, without looking at the next phase which would be well where do I want to take my career it's always that next exciting project that we get involved with rather than us uh, managing our careers uh, going forward Um, those are the main things that have been on I'm on holiday next week which I'm really looking forward to and going to be chilling out in the Welsh coast Um, uh, and for those who don't know Wales is by England and not part of England and uh yeah that, i think that is really it so uh enjoy this conversation with john uh we always go down some rabbit holes john and i when we talk um it's fascinating talking about the the um uh, supply chain and, and things like that and how 
I've not in the automotive industry I've not been involved in any of that and typically it's software with me so occasionally I had some uh, shipping issues with stuff coming from China on cabling but um, the uh, complexities of when you've got physical product and physical product being created as part of a project um, really fascinating so hope you enjoy that and if you are celebrating over Easter or on holiday or whatever I hope you have a fantastic time and we'll speak again soon bye now I also think requirements change as well yeah. without you knowing. And, uh, and, and you, you look at the, um, the, the situation we are now with COVID. Um, most cars aren't designed well with every single part to be sat in someone's drive for 18 months without being moved around, moved yeah. because of, they're not designed for that, are they? The requirement no, not the... usually. No, no, yeah. not usually. So my, they, I know they're expecting mine... to be out on the road kind of periodically. Yeah, yeah, mine wasn't, and <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so I I had green stuff growing on it and uh, things like that, and, and it was it was kind of like got it going and then started it started up, kind of started okay, and went to move it, and it was like one hell of a noise from those seized brakes, <laughs> 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 and, and I ended up having new discs and stuff like that afterwards. But okay, so it was, were actually seized. It was not. Were yeah, they rusted over? Because sometimes I, they I, get. I think I mean, they were already on the way out. To be fair, okay. I think it okay. just and you might have forgotten so. because a year and a half away from it, who's yeah. going to remember? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it kind of, it kind of. Kinda, so, so you think about those scenarios where, where actually, the, when you design the vehicle, you don't design it to be sat there. Things change and it gets there, and actually, yeah. it's a perfectly reasonable um, expectation in these instances nowadays. You might actually maybe we're not designing cars to be parked uh, on the drive, but probably I would imagine that the, the car design industry has changed that consideration because it's going to be right. Is this vehicle going to be used by a commuter every day? Yeah, uh, and actually, that that isn't. <laughs> going to be common is it's going to be this no. going to be less common should i say i, I would so think so we'll when you're it. thinking about the life cycle of the car you, you you look at the drive the estimated miles per year yeah. and you're probably looking at an envelope right of here's the minimum drive the the old lady that buys a girl goes yeah. to the grocery stores and church the, that typical vehicle and then the people who have who drive a lot of put in a lot of miles and then you figure your part life cycle based on maybe some some one of those numbers with some factor of margin yeah and and that'll be your design and your testing yeah. um so like you said as as our relationship with the car changes it may be more public trans transportation less miles in general i think the average is like fifteen thousand a year usually I think that's that's what the back of the thumb kind of yeah. estimate well, is. That's, 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 that's quite astounding because if, if you've got that kind of thing in the US and in the UK where we're much closer, we move much less. And I think I think it's about 12 used to be the average. So it's quite interesting. It's, it's a similar yes. average still considering yeah. the, wow. the vastness of the two different places. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. that that That's what I understood it to be probably a few years back. Yeah. We we violate it pretty badly, but my kids in college and we go visit. Yeah. So I'm kind of, and then like you said, COVID kind of pulled us back from traveling. Yeah. You work from home a lot more, and you don't drive 50 miles one way to a job. That's kind of helpful. So yeah. 
and and the and once we've selected a supplier, those changes you you can expect that, and you got to find a way to manage those things um, well, and and that's going to be important in how we handle the project, no matter if it's a supplier base. Well, anything that's external to our company. Obviously, if we have, if I can go down to the lab and say, can you change the software? And it has no depending consequences on manufacturing, other vehicle systems, other IT systems, mm -hmm. you know, then that's kind of easy to do. But if you have to tie it in with other systems, as many things do, like you can't just go get a, you can't just go write some code for, um, a laptop or a desktop without understanding how that con the consequence of that change in the system is on the cloud and all the other ripple effect of that throughout everything that th that that system is going to touch. Yeah. So I think that's and, just and a it, fundamental project management thing. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I think when you think about it, you get in that situation as well with, with vehicles becoming the more and more integration with computing, with with um, your voice and all those sort of things, yeah. the more every time I see a new computer out on the telly, I sit there thinking, that's going to need good Wi-Fi. That's going <laughs> to need a good mobile signal for that to be operating. And yeah. I know round by me, it ain't great. Um, in certain patches, there's bits where we can't play our music. And it gets really irritating in the dead zone that we drive through. Yeah. Uh, a few of those. And you kind of look at some of the vehicles and you think, how are they? How, how long before... It's going to have to be redundancy in that, uh, that software so that it can operate without that yeah. digital connection. Yeah, sort of like airplanes. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. Just think, thinking about the, um, the sort of things with with sort of supply chain, what what would you say of your with your experience are the, the key things that you've put in place that kind of saved your ass. Um, do you know what I mean? Where you, you've had pieces of work where you, a little bit of a war story, maybe or, or that sort of thing, but, or, or a positive one where you, you've been managing a project and there is a dependency on these supplies and, and, and on these supply chains and you've had a problem and how have you got around it? And just give us a couple of examples of some of the tools and techniques you used in doing it. Well, um, sometimes we, we kind of talked about the material acquisition for prototype parts and you can't get them from where you think you're going to get them, and then you have to go digging around to other um, lower-tier suppliers or one way or the other tier suppliers, either the next one down or the next one up, to try to uh, acquire it or or something that's a substitution kind of part that might be equivalent enough to keep things moving. That's the substitution one's kind of sketchy because when it, in my experience, when they say it's a direct substitution, IC integrated circuit or something like that, that's seldom the truth. There's some mm -hmm. little nuance, something that's going to be different and it might give you this, but it, at a cost of something that's much is too high. Um, yeah. So you can't really do that. <clears throat> Um, if you know in advance enough, you can buy enough material. Like, for example, I had a customer, they said, I want 50 versions of a B part. And, and, um, this was probably before the, the supply chain got all honked up and they, and, uh, so I worked with the team. We said, okay, they want 50 pieces and we're going to need some pieces. And then we're going to probably should have a buffer because they say they want 50, but in our experience, customers, 
what they say at that time versus what they say a few months later are going to be two different things. So we're going to go ahead and order 150 pieces, which is a lot more than we needed for our testing and for the customer. And it turns out we couldn't get parts, but we had enough to do our, what we call design verification, design validation to DVT. Uh, we had enough to do our DVT and still build them parts with these extra pieces um, for their exploration. So in that case, uh, acquiring a little more than you think you're going to use, you know, without being stupid about it, it helps. It's like anything else. It's like a schedule thing. I think I can do it in two weeks, but it's better to have four, you know. Yeah. Contingency, the word of heresy, as people call it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Or, or or a little bit of or pl- it's it's buffer it's planning for a yeah. buffer because you know things don't come off as as perfect as you write them down on paper and it's through no fault of anybody's things vary and that's a that's a fact yeah. um, the world is full of variation and even if you have experience that this is always a week that doesn't mean it will always be a week so um, yeah so so though that's a pretty good one looking at other sources. And if you're lucky enough, plan a little bit more than you than you need, you know, because of yield, because of loss, uh, because your cust- you know your customer is going to come back and say, yeah, I think I need 20 more pieces of that. Um, those those are probably some good standbys, I think. So um, I suppose it's it's. it's... Both of those are kind of continuous, different different drivers of continuity, aren't they? Yeah. You know, and it's kind of think it's it's good. It's one of the things that I don't I don't know if you're the same. When I've had projects where I'll have a project manager working for me and they come to me and, and they give me a project plan and it has no contingency in. Or if I've been asked to put together a plan and they say, Well, let's take all the contingency out and what's the what's the happy path that we can do? And and I kind of sit there I just sit there scratch my head and go if it hasn't got contingency in it isn't a project schedule schedule let's not use the word plan no. it's not a my, project pro, project schedule it's just a list of random wish. dates it's a yeah. wish and yeah. and the truth is what my, my a friend of mine kim he calls those kind of projects death marches because you know <laughs> there's there's no there is no way to win this if you have yeah. your everything stacked end in the end without some kind of um variation to, to any way to account for the variation in attack the, the past conclusion dates um yeah. no yeah it, it's just it you you have no safety net at all and you there's no wiggle room on, yeah. there is no. no wiggle room yeah so if yeah. there's no and wiggle you room said, things you can wrong. tell them right off the bat it's going to be you know what yeah go ahead and do that we're going to be late i'll yeah. tell you right now a year out we're not going to yeah. be on time <laughs> Hey, we're probably going to be over budget too, just yeah. just because you know. Cause... Well, because you'll be thrashing people with overtime to try and yeah. make those dates. Yeah. So your yeah. your contingency becomes people's weekends, yes. and people's evenings, holidays. where you're paying them extra in holidays. Yeah. And, and so you're paying them more, so it's costing you more, and you are not helping your people out. I mean, I I don't know about you, but some of the most irritated times I've been in a project is when I've had to work over the holiday, and I knew six to eight months before, maybe even nine. That there would have been a way to avoid it, yeah. Or, or we should have just started replanning so that that was not going to be the eventuality. You know, you, you well, tell the executives, "Here's how this is going to go," and they're like, "No, no that's not going to happen." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, it's, it's the Christ, Christmas holidays. Whenever I see a schedule and people put a schedule together and it's got work happening for the, <laughs> the three weeks leading up to and in Christmas, it's kind of, no, assume productivity is zero in those three weeks. At even least not 100%. Yeah, even not 100%. Here's I, the, well, I, I just say zero, and then that gives you continuous anyway. I just I assume yeah, people yeah. are not going to be as focused. People aren't going to be as as on it as they yeah. were the three weeks before that. Right. And and rightfully so. If if they have vacation time, what are you going to do? Tell them no, and then yeah. then beginning of the year you're going to tell them no. Also, you're going to yeah. tell them well, you can't carry over your vacation time, yeah. and you can't take it next year because of um, we have no carryover policy, and I need you on another project. So none yeah. of that is helpful. No, it isn't. It's it. I think that the, the difficulty I find is sometimes people. It, it's whilst you can sit there and go, well, we might be able to. We should do this. Should do that. It's kind of well, should's a great word. And actually, it's it isn't about we we should be able to make it and we should be able to get people in and we should be able to do that. It's kind of look at reality, look at what the real situation, what the real human beings that we're working with and dealing with are, yeah. and plan accordingly. And that that will save a lot of challenges for everybody. I remember having a project where the the other side they were desperate to get it in. It was the twenty second of February was the date they desperately wanted, and I and I remember this vividly because we spent many weeks and met a good relation good solid relationship with the customer i was telling them i will not make the 20 uh, sorry you sorry you want no they wanted the 14th and i told them i could make the 22nd because we'd looked at it we knew the stuff that was going on knew the kind of risk and I, I knew there was some stuff we weren't sure about this was physical kind of stuff in contact centers and upgrades and things like that and i'm like yeah i, I can in as close as i can guarantee a date 22nd i could guarantee the 14th i won't even sign up to that but we will try to bring it forward yeah and and that was the way i went with it and i and I, it's one of those ones because i it's one of the times when i was sensible enough to hold my guns and not get um persuaded that yeah 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 we'll be all right it was kind of no definitely not because yeah, it seems uh, like only a week right yeah that's not it's, how that works <laughs> exactly yeah and 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 actually I think we we could have done the fourteenth, but then something, if my memory serves me right, something happened minor that would have meant it wouldn't have been on the fourteenth, and it would have had to have been in the middle of the week. But therefore, we couldn't. Therefore, we had to do it the following week. So it was that kind of, okay, a, it, you know what I mean? It was a kind of it was around thirteenth, fourteenth. So it was around that sort of thing where the team you had to do it at a weekend. You couldn't do it in in, in working days, and and that meant uh, one minor thing jumped in a month. Uh, and we, but we were we were nearly there. Yeah, and it was just it just it was only a small piece of work that as well. It's just the final throws of it, and it politically they wanted to get the date there. Politically they wanted to be able to say that specific date, and it was kind of yeah. sometimes you got to take that as a project manager. I think some with these sort of things of can building in your contingency, and if you've got something as you've talked about here, where you've got um, a product where you've got say fifty of these products, you, you've got to go in your budget. We're going to buy hundred and fifty. Right, great. Why are you buying hundred and fifty? They only need fifty in the requirements document. Well, that's for this, this, this. this. You kind of you you pay for it then, yeah, or you pay for it later, yeah. Uh, but you pay for it, and you. And the thing is, when you pay for it up front, when you say, "I'm going to." go through a load of grief of giving the bad news to the customer say, you know, we said we thought we might be able to do it in six months. We can only do it. We've got, we need another two weeks or another month to do it. I know you're not happy. There's, have all the arguments and remonstrations six months ahead. Get past that and get on and deliver it. Yeah. 
the cost of doing that compared to the cost of trying to bring in something a month that you know you can't do the cost of relationship the cost of staff the cost of money cost yeah it, it, it's it's being able to explain to people you pay for it now you pay for it later yeah and and actually if you pay for it now agree now you may have time to avoid it yeah because yeah. you've got that that you've got that mindset of right we've now got some space to avoid yeah. that contingency let's work out how we can avoid that contingency whereas when you're got to deliver to a date all you're focusing on is getting to that date and and you know that's already under pressure as well yeah. whereas, and then then things, in my experience, when you have to deliver to that date and it, that date is singular like that, that's when you you see, I don't know if this is a self-preservation thing or if it's just a, um, uh, a, a optimistic, the rose-colored glasses peeking yeah. through, but you see an estimate of a work package that says, yeah, we're done. We're through with testing. Maybe we haven't even started. We have seen no defect reports, so we're okay. You know, but the fact is, you're, you're not okay. You hadn't even begun testing, so you start you start judging signs that you might be on the right path. That uh, cherry picking, right? It's confirmation yeah. bias. I see something yes. that looks like it affirms what I want to have happen. Um, so I'm just gonna go with it, and then you find out after you either make the date and you deliver uh, crap. Um, yeah. something that's not great to the customer or you miss the date and you have to go to the customer at one hour before it's delivery and say, yeah, I'm going to need another month. And, and, and in their mind, if you tell me that and I'm your customer, I'm like, what the hell did this just pop up? How yeah, could this pop, pop up? Yeah. Today, yeah. today, you know, you need a month. What happened two weeks ago or maybe yeah. a month back? Yeah, exactly. Your watermelon projects and they, Yes, yes, that's what they are. They're yeah. they're green on the outside, but if you take a little knife and scratch yeah. that thing, ouch, I, glowing I red. Remember, I can't remember where I heard that phrase. I just thought it was fantastic. It really summarized projects I've seen before <laughs> yes. now in different places. And I, I think the thing is, is you took, talk some of that kind of made me think, and obviously your, your verification and testing sort of background and expertise and that as well is, that's that point, isn't it, where you have phases of testing at the back end of your project. And what ends up happening is you go in and they kind of, oh, we've got a problem in a problem in design. Oh, yeah, we've had to redesign it. Okay, we've done a bit of further time. We've had to come back. So we've slipped a couple of weeks. Oh, it's all right. We can that'll be okay. We'll compress testing. And then you get into dev and you kind of get a problem. You've got to go around. And kind of, oh, well, we've got Well, why don't we parallel run that test with that test? And then, okay, so we'll be okay on that. And then you kind of go, oh, we, and those parallel run tests, you've got something that turns up. And then, okay, so we're going to have to bring the final test in and overlap with, and yeah. you end up doing all of your phases of testing at the same time with the same people on the same environments. And yeah, and probably the only one set of hardware, which is not how a testing is supposed to work. It's supposed to be, yeah. you do it throughout. So you learn as you go and you start it. Yeah. You don't get this big of false defects reported as you reach the end because you've had 10% here, 8% here, 20% here, uh, defects reported along the line as you've done, as you've iterated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I saw somebody drew a great picture of this 
they had a straight line and they said, here's the development and here's the testing time. It was two line segments, right? And they said, and the next graphic had the development going a lot further. And then it had the testing line, a zigzag line, like it had been smashed, crashed. And they're doing all that same length of line segment is just accordioned up in a smaller space. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that happen. Yeah. And that happens. It's pretty common. And the project manager has got to be aware of those things because it, one, um, if you're not able to tell, tell people that, you know, the software is late or the hardware is late and we can't start the testing and the testing has got to go through this window of time and these things, if you're not able to say those, deliver those hard truths and manage expectations, then um, you're probably not in the right job. The yeah. a project manager has got to be able to listen to bad news and not see it as bad news. It's just news. And they got to be able to find a way around it if possible. And if not, they got to be able to convey that outward to everybody that needs to hear that. Um, hey, here's a good book you might want to check out. Um, it's called Double Speak. That rings a bell. Um, and um, I think, I, is it Goldrat wrote something about. Um, um, mitigated speech. That's another word for it. But that book is pretty interesting because it describes these things that people do that in, or they they word things so softly mm-hmm. that the sense of urgency is gone from it. And sometimes it's out of a fear of uh, offending or hurting somebody's feelings and sometimes it's self-preservation. I don't know what else it could be, but you know, and and these things are not going to be all that helpful for a project manager. You should be able to speak very clear, and it's already difficult enough to communicate and have people walk away understanding what you've said. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. It is. I think we've all been caught at times where you'll be sitting there writing your status report, and you're there thinking, "Someone's told me we've got a problem, but I think they're going to solve it next week." <laughs> do, do yeah? Do I? Do I escalate now and have a load of people running around and get too much help from senior management, yeah. which will slow the thing down and stop the person getting it done next week, or at least give me a lot more reports to write? Because I've seen it where, in, in and I've heard other people say, is quite often you will get the situation where you'll have someone to deliver um, and you, you go red, but what you don't get is help. What you get yeah. is extra reporting. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a uh, as a, as a, as an organizer as a profession, I think incumbent on us and with to be able to actually change that a little bit to say right when a project manager has a problem with their project, they need help not reporting, so they right. need someone to go in there, sit with them, help them solve the problem, bring in a, the red team. Quite often will come in to work out who's to blame or what the what the excuses might be. Yeah. Not always to come in and help solve the problem and give extra knowledge, hands, and experience. And uh, yeah. uh, it, it's 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 difficult. It's a difficult. I can understand, especially someone who's a junior project manager trying to do the time, cost, quality. Just yeah. sit there going, I don't want to. I don't want to raise this yet. We can work. We can work it out. We can get it done. As yeah. I'm, I'm supposed. I'm not meant to bring problems. I'm only meant to bring solutions. Yeah, that's that's um, not. Yeah, I, what you're saying is true. Except for that, it should not be true that you don't bring your problems. In fact, for me, I, I, one of the very first things you should have in your project plan 
is, is an escalation path, and that includes escalation yeah. internally and escalation at your at your um, at your supply base throughout your supply base, depending on things. And there's yeah. got to be a way of telegraphing a punch without actually saying I need escalate this right. There's that middle stage. You don't go from green to to flaming red. You go from green to okay. We have a challenge. Uh, actually, we have something that looks like it's going to cause us problems, but we are uncertain if it will or not. It's not yeah. good for sure, and we need a little bit more time to ascertain the impact, um, if any. And that's an interim step, but you should have that in your back pocket. Maybe even start telegraphing this to your escalation path saying, yeah, something's we may not be making this because of these other reasons. The software is late or the hardware is late. or It's, it's easy to do a heads up, though, isn't it? And that's the thing. It's, it's yeah. actually, I've done it before. It's where we've had situations where someone's coming through, I'll do a heads up to my management chain going, heads up, don't think it's going to be a problem. Think we'll be able to solve it. But just in case, yeah. this is for you to know and be aware of. And we may need some help next week, next day, whatever. And typically, and then if we do need that help, it's kind of that conversation, that door's already open, the conversation's yeah. there. Um, you haven't um, uh, incorrectly redeployed loads of the organization's resources to solve a problem you haven't got, yeah. but you also haven't hidden the fact from someone. Right, So and they're then, not surprised no. a week later when you come to them and say, yeah, we need to ask yeah. like this. But they, a week later, they've already been thinking about that heads up going, well, if that's a problem, well, I've got Jeff over here and Mary over here. We could bring them into that and help them if it becomes a problem. Yeah. And, and you know, they've got the time to do that planning and thinking rather than it's a problem now, what's the what's the solution yeah. to do that? That's right. Um, I think it's um, it, that double speak thing, as you say, it's sometimes being direct and saying we've got a problem is, is, is it's hard to do, but it's, it's, it's a... <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you end up the other way. You end up doing it, and and I think you'd love it actually. There's a a podcast. It's um, um, the PM podcast, and it's Seth. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. I've forgotten his name. It's not Seth. It's something mixed him up somewhere else. Um, this, it's the PM podcast anyway, and he did an April Fool's podcast on blame management. As part of the project management tooling, um, and it's very, it's about 20 minutes long. It's about identifying when there's a problem, who to blame, or what are the potential candidates for blame, how what we put in place to make sure it looks like they're the ones to blame for the project failure. And it, it and actually, if it was written in the PM box, you'd read it and you'd be thinking. And, and it's structured the way they've done it so well it's, done. You think it's a legitimate thing, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. It's the same as it talks about the same kind of flows as you would with risk management or change management, scope management, all that sort of thing. And and it just I I haven't listened to it for a few years. I need to listen to it again because I've actually when you listen to it and if you put your hand on your heart, you've heard people, you've you've seen people doing it, and you've I'm sure if you haven't done it yourself. You've had yourself thinking it before. There is some, yeah. of, the, some yeah. of the techniques. How can I transfer in. this to somebody else? Because this yeah. is going to be crap. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. sitting there like like Han Solo on, in Star Wars, going, "It's not my fault. It's not my fault." It's it's brilliant, and it's a really it's a really good PM podcast. It's been going. Um, I don't know um, why I've got a blank on his name. 
Check Cornelius Fischner. Cornelius, Cornelius Fischner. For some reason, I was mis- mixing him up with Seth Shostak, who is a um, a scientist at the SETI Institute, who's on another podcast. Listen, cool. I'll um, check but it yeah, out. Cornelius, he's, he's, he's um, I think he's probably one of the pop PM podcasts that's been around for the lo- longest. I'll, that I'm, that I'll I'm send you there. something I wrote on uh, uh, on Hope Project Management that you might find a little humorous too. Okay. I'll send that. Probably I'll shoot that a ring and a prayer sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Most people really Brilliant. get a chuckle out of it because, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. And yeah. yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. Mo- most humor comes from a little bit of realism, doesn't it? Yeah. A little yeah. dark so, realism, uh, like not, yeah. not, yes. Exactly. So just, I'm just thinking, we're just, uh, just ticking up, um, coming up to the hour sort of time from when we started recording. Um, what, if if you were, were going to talk to a project manager, a new project manager, or even an experienced project manager who's looking to having to use a supply chain of some description for their particular project, what what I, th- I think I can guess some of the things we've probably talked about. But what what things maybe we haven't talked about? Would you talk about maybe the top three things that you think about what they would need to have in place to help them get the best experience of having a, a, to deal with a supply yeah. chain? I'd say the first one is you need to be included with the procurement people mm-hmm. throughout the uh, selection process. Um, the second is identify metrics and milestones throughout uh, your project and make sure that you have a common understanding of that with your supplier. When you say, I need a C part on this date, make sure they underst- you and they understand what a C-level part looks like. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause that, or whatever, whatever you call that level of part, make sure that when they you say have C-level, a, are you talking about quality? Is that, yeah. Is I'm that talking about of, yeah. like, uh, the, it, it would be a part that's between a pure prototype part and a part yeah. that's okay. off of production. That. Uh, this, for example, a C-level part would be the, maybe the PC boards are off of production processes or maybe they're somewhat production processy. The housing would be off of some kind of non-production-related tool. Yeah, or it yeah. might be a a a, a, a hard a soft tool that mimics the hard tool or something like that. Okay, yeah. you know, So so whatever your qualifications are, the the real important thing is whatever your company thinks that part should look like. Make sure you talk with your you're part of the supplier discussions saying this is what this part looks like, which means you're probably going to have engineers and quality assurance engineers in there as well talking about it. But you need to be part of those discussions, if nothing more than to understand that we all have a common view of what we mean when we say this, right? And and things like that that are key to your project throughout the the supplier involvement with with the development effort. And then... You, you you seriously need to have some sort of checklist of the requirements that you're expecting uh, that customer, uh, excuse me, that supplier to deliver to. And then you should have some sort of action in place to confirm or refute that list of things. Now, often it looks like a set of requirements, right? It yeah. could be a requirements document or a set of 
different. Uh, here's a hardware requirement. Here's a software requirements document. Here's some manufacturing or here's a testing thing. Something, those artifacts, you should have a, a list of things that are in the contract. Now, a lot of that's going to be from procurement. But my, my experience is the procurement folks kind of miss some of that. The one they're mostly concerned with is, is the contract closed to some degree, yeah. right? Um, maybe their artifacts have been delivered and it looks like the manufacturing line works, so we're done. That's not necessarily true. In order to close the project out, the project manager needs to, needs to know more than just the procurement details are closed out. I need to understand, do I have all the software pieces that are supposed to be, or all the hardware pieces in here? Or supporting documentation, if that was expected. Um, what about aftermarket tools to test this thing if it fails in the field and I need to run some... Uh, I need to run some tests. You know, I'll have the part taken from the dealer and shipped to this test facility to check it out to see if it, it truly was a failed part. Is that part of the contractual obligations that I need to I need to to make sure are are accounted for? So that's that's going to be another one that that checklist of the, the how do I know I'm done? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So those are going to be the the, the big things I think. Yeah, brilliant. That's superb. So um, thank you very much, John, for coming on and, and having a chat with us again. It's been a, a fascinating digging into a, a, a realm that is a little bit alien to me, uh, although not as alien as I thought it was when I kind of, but, mm-hmm. but there is still some, there, there, there are more commonalities than I thought there would be um, yeah. on, on some of the things I've done. Um, if people want to get hold of you, talk more, find out something, grab one of your books or anything, what what's the best way to get in t- touch with you? And so forth? You can email me at john, J-O-N dot quigley at valuetransform.com. And um, I'd appreciate a follow of Value Transformation on LinkedIn. Anybody that listens to this, you can ping me there too. Cool. Brilliant. All right, and John, um, in which case, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, and have a fantastic rest of your evening. Thank you, Nigel, and you also. I'll try my hardest. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier on, if you um, carry on listening to the end today, you'll hear a little excerpt of the intro from my book, Project Manager Productivity Hacks, uh, AI narrated audio, which is available at, well, if you go to nigelcreaser.com slash hacks audio, all lowercase, you uh, can get it from Google Play or from Payhead if you fancy grabbing a copy. Um, otherwise, look after yourself. See you soon. Bye. So, this is my final wrap up. Every week you're going to hear this, you're going to get bored of it, but you can always click next podcast if so. Um, If you have enjoyed it, if you've listened to this podcast to the end of this uh, show and you think that was great, I'd love to be able to help Nigel out. Um, There are loads of ways you can do it. Um, The the first and and obvious way is to um, share the podcast, send it out to people. Um, if you if you know colleagues and friends who'd benefit from it, you think they'd enjoy it, just send them the link. Grab one of the links send, or send them to www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts. 
that's www.nigelcreaser.com slash podcasts and that will push them over to a um a link tree link and it's got all of the different ways they can consume the the podcast uh if you are feeling generous and have a big bag of cash you could grab a copy of one of my books obviously um uh, they're available in all the usual places and print and 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 digital again jump on the website uh shop and that will give you a list of all the different ways that you can contribute um and, and grab copies of the book also got um, links to all my guests books on there as well where i get a little bit of a kickback from them um if you are of a sporting mind um i have a number through doing some of my um, judo and, and running uh, antics uh, I've managed to secure a few um, uh, affiliate links and affiliates uh, there as well so in there somewhere in the sponsors page there's links to those as well so clicking onto those and grabbing uh, your if you're with it if you're looking to uh, get super fit then that would be fabulous as well and I get a little kickback from those uh, I have a patreon account it's patreon.com slash sunday lunch pm so again you can ping something in there buy me a coffee or whatever and finally obviously the most important is coming back coming back listen again um, because uh, the more of you that come back uh, the more uh, visibility I get because there's more times that it's downloaded and all the SEO works and things like that so yeah that's it so uh, if you can help me out I would be much appreciated. If you can't, don't worry about it. Thank you very much. Cheers now. Bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. Introduction. Hi, and welcome to Project Manager Productivity Hacks. Why write another book on productivity hacks? Are there not enough of them already? The trigger was my interview with Sarah M. Hoban for my podcast, The Sunday Lunch Project Manager Podcast. Plug, plug. Find out more at www.nigelcreaser.com slash Sarah M. Hoban. We talked about improving productivity for project managers, and during the conversation I recalled that a while ago I started a blog post in which I plan to share some ideas that I have used in my career to improve my productivity and get out of the office that little bit earlier. Over the years I have shared these with others, and almost every time I received a positive and enthusiastic response. Having rekindled the idea, I sat down and noted 11 hacks, tips, shortcuts, whatever you want to call them, that I have used over the years. Why 11? Well, it's one more than 10. This book goes up to 11. One for the Spinal Tap fans. I see productivity as remarkably similar to an exercise program. We all start off with good intentions, and some of the changes work great for us and others don't. Some changes stick and become part of our daily life, whereas others are just a real chore. Even the ones we found that work well for us and are straightforward to implement can, under certain circumstances, end up being dropped by us. Sometimes this happens consciously, and sometimes little by little over time. Whether building healthier habits or improving our productivity, it's not just a case of making the changes, and we are done. It takes repeated work. If you find them hard to implement, 
then they may not be for you in your current situation. If you start using them and end up letting them drift, then start again. Improving our productivity is something many of us strive to achieve, aiming for some kind of efficiency nirvana. Let me tell you, it ain't gonna happen. Perfection is a myth. Give yourself a break. It's a bit like yoga, you can't win at yoga, no matter how bendy you get, you can always be bendier, that's the same with personal productivity, you can't win at productivity, you can always be productivier. Ed, is that a word? I have not always been able to apply these hacks successfully, but that is not a reflection of the hacks themselves, it is more about my ability to stick with them even though I know they work. One last point, as with your fitness regime trying to make loads of changes at once can spell disaster. I recommend that once you have a read of these hacks, choose one that excites you, maybe not excites but seems to resonate, and have a go at it. Once it is second nature to you, move on to the next one that spoke to you. If you find that the first one was not for you then bin it. Choose another and try that one out, then rinse and repeat. So on with the hacks.